Holly Whitaker, and I am Laura McCowan, and this is Home Podcast. Morning. Good morning. Hello. Where in the world is Holly today? (laughs) This time I'm in LA, and I actually think our next one I'll be recording while I'm in New York, which we actually have to talk about because I don't know if that's going to work, but um, yeah, I'm in LA, lovely downtown LA. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am home. Home, home. When you say home, it sounds like you say home when you're introducing the podcast. I am home. home. Podcast. <laughs> How's home? So let's, let's like get it right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Because you and I don't want to do it. So let's do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so today we are talking about rejection. Yeah. The big R. Woo. Why are we doing <laughs> Why did it? I say that? <laughs> I don't know. Why are we doing it? Well, we're doing it because we're doing it because it's a thing that you and I both have. It doesn't look exactly the same, but it feels I think we could say it probably feels pretty close. It doesn't look yeah. exactly the same, doesn't necessarily happen exactly the same, but it feels we both know how it feels. I mean, mm-hmm. like when I was looking for that text message that you sent me from um from what you'll talk about in a few minutes. Um I even reading what happened with you and that man, it just, it, it touches me so deeply because mm-hmm. I know that the place, I know that place and it's really hard to describe, but why don't we talk about two, you and I both had, um, rejection played a decent theme in our summer and, yeah. um, <laughs> it did. Yeah. So why don't you talk about kind of we what what really brought us to decide we need to talk about this, um, uh, the summer of yeah. rejection. But why is it the summer of rejection for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think every season has been a season of rejection. Um, that's sure. You know, in some way or another. But this you're right. This this summer was a big theme and it uh, sort of crescendoed to a place where. I am today, which is, I feel like I have some true actual healing around it. But the thing that happened was this. I met a guy on Bumble. It's like a Tinder-like thing. He was from Bumble and not Tinder? Yeah. Whoa. Yep. (laughs) He was from Bumble. And we had connected several months prior. And I we had a pretty good exchange and he uh, then kind of went dark for a while. Uh, We quickly just went to like text message. So we had him on my text, you know, and, and I, he went dark, I got busy and I kind of forgot about it, but then it, it creeped back up into my head and I reached out and said, Hey, Oh, cause he came up in my people. This is one flaw of both Tinder and Bumble because you connect through Facebook, like that's your authentication. The algorithm is like definitely active in Facebook. So oftentimes I've seen people come up, like people that I've matched with come up as people you should know. 
on Facebook. Really? Yeah. Creepy. And because people use their pictures, often the same pictures as like their profile picture, it's really obvious. So, so I screenshotted that because he came up as someone I should know. I screenshotted it and I was like, hey, Facebook says we should be friends or look what came up. And he's like, let's be real friends and Facebook friends. Um, so we started talking again and I liked this guy. I don't know what it was about him, but I, I just, I was drawn to him and we had a pretty good like exchange and, you know, I felt like sort of on the same wavelength and we went out for, we went out on a date, uh, that was, well, before we went on a date, we hung out, went out on like, I guess our second date and it was great. It was really good. I, I was into it. And then the following, he has, he has a kid. I obviously have a kid schedule. You know, I start, I thought I was being kind of chill and cool about it, but I realized that my wheels were kind of spinning early on. Um, even while we were like hanging out on that first date thinking, when would we be able to hang out again? Because this is what I have going on and trying to like get clues to his schedule and this is what he has going on. And so I already started to like, you know, plot that out and I brought it up the next, like later after we had hung out, I brought it up and said, Hey, I I had like invited him to do something. He was like, Oh, I can't, but looking forward to next time. So, and in between all of this, right. In our exchanges, I had already, it had already been an issue that he wouldn't respond. He would just leave question. I would put a question out there and text and he just would never respond. Um, Sometimes he would respond right away. And so it already, there was like already this inequity in communication exchange that was building in my mind. And, you know, this is just one of the like things about texting and just dating period is it fucking sucks because you don't you don't know someone you don't know their style yet and you don't have enough of an established like rapport relationship with them to you know you're kind of just like dancing around and trying to figure out what's going on really you don't know what's going on come to find out he just he tells me he's not a texter and we had like some really good talks about it cool okay Laura, like, feeling good. My life is feeling good. I'm like, you know, I feel solid. But there's this, like, creeping nag in the back of my mind about, like, trying, starting to get graspy with it. He, I have two friends in town visiting, two of our friends in town visiting for the weekend. And uh, it had been a few days since we'd been in communication. And I was like... Uh, I want to like make plans. I want to see this guy again. So I'm laying there in my bed. It's like 1030 at night on a Saturday night. And we had had exchanges. Like the last few times we talked were really fun. And it was good. And I start going in my head. I start telling myself this story, right? my rejection story and like I can feel 
the what do we call it in what does Pema call it? Samskara or yeah, your samskara. Shempa, shempa. Oh. Like starting to kick in, and you explain what shempa is. I don't want to do it wrong. Shempa is the oh shempa yes is the moment before the story kicks in where you feel the feeling you feel that sensation in your in your body and what did it feel like it feels like a sinking yeah it feels like hot in my chest and my belly it the feels sinking though the sink i feel like the, the sinking is the like sinking. the thing it's like yeah, the like the elevator is going down oh yeah and fast mm-hmm. it happens fast and mm-hmm. because this person is the object of the current object of my affection affection it's Bef- so you have the feeling the shempa is before the story kicks in. And that's where Pema, the tradi- Tibetan Buddhist tradition, wisdom says you can do the real work. If you can catch yourself in the shempa before the story kicks in, you can do the work. Problem is we always go into the story. And I start telling myself this story about him. And so then you start that game that we both know so well, where you're like, if I, if I tax, if I say this, I want this response. If I don't say it this way, you know, you, you go through like all the options of things you could say and possible responses. And, oh, if he responds, I'm just going to ignore him for a day. And that. Yeah, you have it already figured. It's manipulation, and you already have it figured out. You know exactly how he should respond, um, and you're gaming it. You're gaming it yeah. to to get what you want out of it. Yep. And so you you've already there's a there's a big backstory before you even <laughs> send the text. And I and this guy's you know, on a golf course. And this guy's like. <laughs> fucking doing whatever he's doing <laughs> do, on a Saturday do, do. night. And um, but I've got this, I try to sound all cool in my read, Can you up. read? Can you read the whole thing? Did you send it to me? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yes, I can read it. Ugh. Real life. So, so, just to paint the picture, I'm laying in my bed, I've had a great day with my friends, but I'm feeling... It is like the elevator dropping. It's also like just groundless, a groundless feeling. And I want some solid ground. And I decide he's the person that's going to give it to me. So you didn't send me that one. Oh, yeah, you did. Thanks. So I say to him, uh, this is at first I say, Hey, Hey, you know, checking in and he's gets right back. He's like, Hey, you know, we have a a, like brief back and forth. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I, um, ask him if he wants to, I say I'm free tomorrow night, which by the way, I want to make a point to say, I like had to already manipulate my schedule so that I would be free. I wasn't like surprise I'm free. So I'm already manipulating. Like this is going on in the background already for a day i say i'm free tomorrow do you want to hang out he goes i'm around all day after one and tomorrow night yes no 
I say, I'm around all day after one and tomorrow night. Yes. He says, so I'm golfing tomorrow night, smiley face. And I, that's not good enough for me at that moment. I have this story, remember? He says, yes. I mean, this is what this guy says. says, yes. Yes, let's hang out tomorrow night. And even he puts a smiley face. Yes. This is a not texter. I know this. But I'm not satisfied. So I say, and this makes me want to vomit, only if you're like, yes, in caps. No meh, no mess, M-E-H, allowed, ever. No response. Crickets. Ten minutes later, I go, right, good night then. And he gets back and he says, don't bombard me like that. I don't like it. Turn off. And even you saying it does not actually convey what it feels like when you when you read it and you see it. Every girl or man knows what it feels like and what it looks like, yes, when you see it on the screen. Well, it feels like the bottom dropped out. It feels like, you know, I don't even, I don't it know feels, if men feel, it, I don't, I, I really don't know many men that feel, this is, I really feel this might be a woman's thing, this, like, this particular thing. Of, yeah, uh, maybe. Um, but I, it, it was, I got it and I read it and I was like, it can't be that bad. And then I read it <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, because it was so, I mean, here's why I said, oh, because I'm reading it and I'm like, that's a perfectly reasonable response from this man. The first one where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm golfing tomorrow, but I'm free tomorrow night. Smiley face. He doesn't say, I would love to hang out with you, Laura. I'm free at XX time tomorrow night. You know what I mean? But he's like, but he's actually confirming, yeah, that'd be sweet. And then you're like, I only want you to hang out with me if it's a like, fuck yes. Uh, No, no are allowed. And I read it and I was just like, because it was so, it was, it was like you were like, I need you to say this. You're telling him, I need you to say these exact words. Mm-hmm. Um, I need you to actually like make me like feel like uh, I'm good enough. Or it was, it was asking for something. It was so clear asking for something that he wasn't giving um, explicitly, but kind of, I don't know. So it's just like, oh, and then when his, and his response is just like, nope, no nope. thanks, girl. Mm-mm. And that was it. You guys haven't talked since. Yeah, I wrote back that night because I hadn't had enough of <laughs> I wrote back and said something, you know, along the lines of like, ouch, and I'm just going to go hide in a corner now. <laughs> Not along the lines. That's exactly what I said. No. And then you did have one other conversation with him and you a said, couple days later, what is did. it? What did it say again? <sighs> I felt, well, first, before we go there, huh? I just, I, the effect that this had on me, okay, was it was like all the shit in one, you know, within within a few minutes, I felt like I had. You fell got, apart more than I I've seen you fall apart. Yeah, I got what I wanted, which was what I thought I wanted, which was for, for, to hang out with this guy. But it wasn't enough, so I pushed it. And then I had effectively turn him away so I forced this guy to reject me you did I've 
I forced him to reject me. I because you knew he would. And so I would you, reject me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I know this is what you're going to do. So here, take the fucking bait. And then I'm going to, and I did, I fell apart in a way that I haven't for a really long time. I was like curled up snotting in a fetal position and crying. I mean, ripped, just ripped to shreds. I woke up because I heard my our friends were talking in the living room. They were crazy and stayed up late that night talking. And they were still up. So I walked out there and I just stared at them. And they were like, babe, are you okay? And I couldn't even like tell them what was going on yet. And I went back to my room. I couldn't sleep that whole night. I slept in the whole next day. I had what felt like one of the worst hangovers, like legit hangovers that I've ever had. It's like where you wake up and you hope it's not true and then you remember it's true. Right. So, yes, it was about this guy, but it's about all of the other ones. All of it. And it's not even about this guy. It has nothing to do with this guy. This guy is like, you created this man in order to do the thing that you need to have done to you, right? Like on some level, because that's what we do. We go out, we find the exact guy that will do the exact thing, and then we do it. And then we keep doing it because we're trying to close this. We're trying to heal this thing very misguidedly. We're trying to go back into the same situation and actually like get this like different outcome. But we just keep on getting the same outcome. We're just repeating the behavior over and over. Yeah. And it hurts worse each time because, you know, and plus, you know, and we're going to get into this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the last piece I'll say about it, and then we want to go to yours, is a couple days later, I was like, I was okay, but I was still wanting to, I was wanting to close it. I was wanting to have, you know, my peace around it. And I texted him. I was coming from a better place, though. I knew it was done. I knew I was never going to hang out with this guy again. So I wrote and I said, um, I got, I, I got angry. I was mostly angry at myself for coming for the whole situation. I was, I was angry, not at him. I was angry at myself and kind of disgusted. And I, and I basically said like, Hey, your response was rude and I didn't deserve it. And basically this has like 99% of it has nothing to do with you. So, you know, I'm trying to like take some of my dignity back and he was fine. He responded and said, um, I thought you said, I'm sad, and he said, hi, oh, sad. Oh, no, oh, 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 you're right, yeah. So so he responded, and I said, you know, it, we had a fine exchange. I couldn't leave it at that. I, a couple days later, I wrote, and I said, <laughs> I'm kind of sad, smiley face. <laughs> and he wrote back. Um, hi, hi kind of sad. Hi, kind of sad. I'm blank, blank, his name. Yeah. And that was the end. Yeah. And the whole funny thing about this is, is that from the moment I saw the guy, I was like, no, you know, I mean, in in all of your interactions, like there, I mean, he, he was not, it was settling. It was total settling. And I'm not saying like, he's not worth you, but on some level he wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. this man was not doing the things that like from the beginning that really, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't showing up as a, he wasn't, how do I even say it? He, He wasn't. He wasn't a big enough man for you. He wasn't from the very beginning of it. Um, yeah. he's, he's not there. He's really childish. And, and, um, and, and it's like, it's so funny to watch because you hold yourself and compose yourself. And I know you can say this exact same thing about me and this very, you know, you, you have this, I mean, you're, you are 
working through crazy things and you're able to compose yourself and hold yourselves together and, and do really hard things that most people can't do and you're composed and you command respect and then and then over here it's just like you shrink and into this miniature like you know eight-year-old girl right and um and it was and it was just from the beginning you could just see like oh this is not the, the same caliber this is not you know you're calling in somebody that's that you know you should have when you were you know in your teens or early 20s perhaps um, but this is not the right match for right now. This man is not, he's not able to, you know, he's not going to be able to do, to be the man that you need him to be. And um, it was just, yeah, the whole thing was yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 So we'll go, we'll go into like, you know, the, the bigger lessons and all that, but tell us your, t- tell everybody, I know it, tell, tell yours. everybody. No. So, I mean, my, mine isn't, my my rejection story, like the I didn't fall apart this summer. I mean, I had a lot of rejection, but it was actually really amusing, and it was there was it's it's kind of an interesting thing because it's it's gone full circle. When I was in you know when I was in Italy last summer, um, it was uh, and and honestly, for as long as I can remember, it has been like we've we've joked about it, but I. I am the the most stood up woman in the world, and <laughs> you are. It's true. Yeah. And when I was in Italy last summer, I was in this really, um, really dramatic relationship with this man. And when I came when I came back from when I came back from Italy, I went. And mine mine is kind of hard to tell because I haven't had this recent like um, thing. Mine's been this Maybe really just say, long like, ongoing themes. thing. Yeah. Just the thing. Well, you just talked for 15 minutes about clay, so give me a few minutes to talk about this. No, I'm not saying rush it. I'm saying if it, if you're hard, having a hard time nailing it down, then talk about the themes. But do whatever. No. So when I was in when I was in Italy last summer, I had um, I had this like kind of interesting string of events, right? Like I was dating a man, and I'd been dating him for a year and a half. And right before I had gone to Italy, um, maybe like a month and a half before I went to Italy, we were lying in his bed one night and we'd been dating for a long time and we had the talk. And I said, do you like basically like, should we get more serious or like I, I'm kind of feeling like I, I want a little bit more out of this. And mm-hmm. we had this really interesting and great talk where he actually said he was not um that he was concerned about drinking about his drinking and not like he was concerned about his drinking but he was he was concerned about it in in you know being mirrored back to him by a sober person right and that was one of his hesitations and we had this like really great talk and we in that moment decided to go forward and then a couple days later um he he well he went radio silent after that and we had planned he's italian he was living in san francisco they all are they all are he was living in san francisco he his parents lived in italy still but i didn't meet him in in italy i met him in san francisco and um but he had arranged to meet me in rome for four or five days for us to hang out he like planned his trip so that it ended there and um 
And so a couple days later, he went radio silent and I said, this is not what we talked about. And he said, I'm not ready to be in a relationship right now. So this was like the, this I would say is like the escalation of where, like, this is really where things kind of, um, exploded. And because Mm -hmm. he comes to Rome, he comes a day late, he meets me, he doesn't come and stay at my apartment. He goes to his parents' house. And by the time we actually like sit down to have a drink and then go to dinner, um, something is really weird between us. And um, we go and have dinner and he's explaining, he's telling me about his trip over the last couple of weeks. And he'd been all over the place. He'd been to London and DC and New York. And, and then he drops in you know, somewhere between visiting his parents on the Italian Riviera and meeting me. No, 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 no. And between London, he says he stopped in, in Belgium. And I was like, it was just out of line and I'm sitting there and he just very casually explains that he was visiting his girlfriend in Belgium, ex-girlfriend in Belgium. And then proceeds to tell me that he was, um, and he, he's lighting up as he's explaining this to me. And I'm trying to be the cool girl, which is so great. Like, I'm just doing that thing where I'm trying to be super cool and supportive about this. Like, I'm not threatened by this. And he's like, yeah, tells me that he's been talking to her for months. So while he and I are, like, in this thing, he's been talking to her. And he's, like, and he's telling me, like, like, that she's met his parents and he got to meet her mom. And, like, he doesn't know where it's going, but he feels just, you know, really good about it. And I'm still trying to be cool. And um, and then I finally just say, um, did you tell her? No, first I ask him if this is why he's a day late in meeting me. And then I say, did you tell her you were on your way to meet a girl you've been fucking for a year and a half? And he says... I told her I was on my way to meet a friend. And he says this, like, looking at me and, like, nodding his head, like, okay. And, um, (laughs) yeah. Oh, my God. And it was just um, the whole thing. I wrote about it. It was, like, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite pieces ever. Um, I wrote about it. And I just, I was in Italy. I'm in Rome. And I had this whole thing. I mean, I wasn't in love with this guy, but I was looking forward to spending a couple days with him and like doing that thing in Rome. I dated a lot of of men in Italy, but I'd never had like a man I was like in that kind of relationship with come see me there. And then I had all these visions of us like running along the Tiber at night and eating gelato and doing all these like things in this city that I love and that he's from. And I just, um, I hate, oh God. So I left. He, he asked me what I was thinking at some point because I was really measured and um, somehow measured and composed, um, even though like everything on my inside wanted to like in the piece I wrote about it. Um, I, I was I told him it was like one of the first times that I'd said, I wish I still drank because if I still drank, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would drink that whole fucking bottle of wine and then I would break it over your bald fucking head. And so I ended up um, just grabbing this my purse. This is the key difference between your reaction and my reaction <laughs> to rejection, by the way. You get fucking furious, <laughs> and I turn into I don't, but I puddle. don't get furious anymore. I don't. Let's be clear. I get, like, like minutes of furious. Minutes of furious. This was, and this wasn't bad. I mean, this is, yeah, I get, I'm not I get mad for a second. It's just funny. It's like... 
It's so <laughs> you're I I could use a lot more anger and I have started to get anger. When I get angry, I'm like, fuck yes. Your your reaction is to get angry. Mine is to be like, oh, God. that's my that is my so that's sorry. my gut reaction. My like immediate reaction is to like get super mad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I anyway. I didn't. I was just I was very level with him. I I you know I was very level. I he said, what are you thinking? And I said, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the fastest way to leave to leave you. Like that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of is how to get out of here the fastest. And yeah. I just remember like, you know, you remember these details. I remember looking at my purse and like looking and like thinking through the whole thing. Okay. Grab your purse. Yeah. Push your chair back, turn to the left, put foot yep. on ground, walk to that door over there. And so I did that. And then I walked out and I called you. I was in Rome and this is mm-hmm. last year. And, and I just was like, you dealt. <laughs> I dealt. I walked for a long time and then it just became a really funny story of like, of course I go to Rome to meet the man I've been seeing and he gets back together with his girlfriend on the way and right. tells me at dinner. <laughs> what else would happen? What else would happen? Right. And so, you know, and so then I met a guy right after that and who, you know, I was like certain was the one that was going to just fix everything and solve everything. And we got mm-hmm. into this really, you know, crazy thing. And in the end, the same thing happened. Like he pursued mm-hmm. me for a month and on the last morning there I went to go meet him at the train station and he said don't come Mm -hmm. my family's coming and maybe I'll see you again soon it was just like this like Mm -hmm. this complete crash of are you I'm like me like not understanding wait a minute what like this is the same theme of like you can be so disposable and so I went and I saw my therapist after right when I got back and she said something that was was really really big to me, which was, do you remember when you came in here and you were quitting drinking and how did you feel about drinking? And I said, um, she said, did you want to quit? And I was like, more than anything, I wanted to quit. Mm -hmm. And she asked me how I felt about this because she identified it as love addiction. She identified it as, um, you know, just this, this cycle that I was stuck in. And she said, do you want to quit this? And when she meant quit, this was the shit I was playing, the games I was playing, um, and the drama and the rejection. I, the, yeah. yeah. That, that whole, the whole thing. And I laughed and said, no, I don't want to quit yet. <laughs> and because I didn't want to quit, I knew it was ahead of me. Um, because I know the same thing is for, is true for, you know, for anything for alcohol, yeah. but you don't want to quit. You don't want to quit and you're not going to quit. Yep. And still doing something for you. It's still it's doing still something, doing something for, you. for you. And so, so that was it. So, it's, you know, for me, I, I called her a week later and I said, I'm not ready to do this and I'm not going to do this. And she said, I don't think you're ready to do it either. Mm-hmm. And she's, and I trust her so much. And, you know, and she was just like, you'll know, like, you'll know. And so I decided not to work on men, but men decided to continue to work on me. It's, <laughs> yep. I stopped, I stopped trying to date. And then, and then I've written about this, this guy, Peter, um, Finds me, like finds me. This I'm in Fresno at my mom's house, and my he literally found you. Finds me, like he sees me on on Tinder, which I'm not using. He sees me on Tinder. He goes on to no, I was using it, but he he finds sees my company on Tinder, goes onto my website, finds my Facebook, sends me a Facebook reads thing, all your shit. reads mm-hmm. all my stuff, and tell you know. And so it was like I wanted to not work on this thing. I wanted a break from this thing because there were also these little tiny incidents that were you know these like little things that were happening, like little dates, little yep. little blips of rejection, yep. and I was just so done with it and. 
here comes like my archetype and like it, it is in Fresno is in my mom's house and we go on we go on um, a couple of dates and it moves really fast really quick and then it happens just you know two weeks into it he does the thing he ghosts and yep he ghosts <laughs> yeah and um and in a really brutal way this time too um and so i it was like this thing of i i don't want to deal with this i don't want to go through this um but i had to go through it and actually so for me this summer getting back to why we decided to talk about it it's happened so much and we'll get more into this I'll, i'm not leaving this but it was like going through that um, not wanting to look at it, but it's still finding me um, and having to deal with this rub, right? This rub of rejection. Because when Peter rejected me, which he did, he told me he didn't want it. We got, we were enjoying each other's company and it did kind of move a little fast at first. And then he told me very specifically he didn't want to be an addict about the relationship. And, right. um, which and you hate it on so many levels. Oh, it it was the worst thing anybody could have said to me. And then he dropped off after that. And then yeah. we saw each other a couple days later. And um, and then he told me he was going away for a week. And um, and then he wasn't. And then I and then he didn't go away for a week. And he lied. And, and it was you the knew whole that. Thing. Yeah, you you, you knew because we were that friends on Instagram. Yeah. Anyway, and so the whole thing was just really. Um, it blew me up. I I lost weight. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. I started smoking cigarettes again. It was it was the. It was the story of like of it was the same thing again and again and again and again. The same thing with Francesco, where he says, "Don't come meet me at the train station." The same thing with Luca, where he says, "I, you know, I couldn't be in a relationship with you, but yeah. I flew across the world to be, you know, to rekindle a relationship with someone else." And the same thing of, um, you know, with Peter, of there's just something wrong with you. Like with all of them, that's the thing I feel is like there's just something that's unlovable about you, and yeah. that and seeing. And so with Peter, I fell the fuck apart more than I've fallen apart in a really long time. And that's your like, you know, moment with this guy this summer. It was just that I fell off. Yeah. And and so for me this summer, I, you know, I was forced to work on it. And we'll talk about that towards the end, the things that we've done to really work on this thing. Um, I, when I was in Italy this summer, it was amusing. I was to the point where it was amusing because yeah. the the men that I was involved with were um, were I like between between two men that I I that I was attracted to that I had feelings for you know they they both stood me up a total of six times. Um, <laughs> And there that's not it. If that if that no, was it's, it. really it's not. not even it's that. Just... It's but um but the but I wrote about this recently which was um like I started looking at it with um as an experiment instead yeah. of a story. I started like it, I have to laugh each time and say only me. Um but also at the same time with each one, I started looking at it as this really beautiful opportunity to actually deal with something and not let something define me, let something work through me and, and be so okay with it that it didn't undo me. And that is what happened. I got mad at Francesco like 
a couple of times I sent bad text messages. Yes, you're right. My natural reaction is anger. It is, how do I destroy this person for disappointing me? Um, but it was also a very quick recover into letting it go, letting it go, letting it go, mm-hmm. letting it go, letting it go to the point that on the last day when I was in Italy and Peter comes out of the woodwork for the third time and we go through the same exact thing, um, it feels like a mosquito bite. It doesn't feel like an right. atomic bomb. And so, um, so rejection, you know, you and I, it, it, it's a, it is a constant theme. Um, and, and it wasn't just with you and this guy a couple of weeks ago. It's you, it was you, it's, it's you oh, yeah, with every no. guy and it's, it's me with there's every been guy. A different, just the same with you. There's been a different cast of characters rotating through, you know, for forever, really forever. Yeah. From the beginning. So let's go back. Okay. So what, like, I want to go into what your rejection story was leading up to sobriety. Cause I do think that there's mm-hmm. a difference before sobriety. And I think, I think there's a huge difference after sobriety. So For I'm sure. really curious to understand what your rejection story has been like in the past. Like, what yeah. is it, what does it look like? So I don't know that the story is necessarily different. Um, but it, it is, it, it, it was not no longer something I could ignore or push down or, um, postpone or delay in sobriety. So the story has been, I have a father who I couldn't ever really be sure of what kind of reaction I would get from him, you know, without going too much into our relationship. I mean, the the crux of it is he um, has his own stuff, his own shit, like everybody. And his stuff made... It didn't make him the best father in a lot of ways. For from the this the point of view that I, or let me start this over. <laughs> My dad has, like everybody, a bunch of issues, and he was without you know. I say this all. I want to like caveat this. I say this all at, with a. I love him and I'm grateful for I wouldn't be who what I am today without him that you know I wouldn't I I it's not that I hold all these resentments anymore but I'll just say it like it is. He wasn't he was inconsistent. He uh was emotionally abusive. Um and I never knew if he would be around and there I I didn't know I couldn't count on his love. I it was um very touch and go and he has his own cycles of um Mental illness, um, that's me, you know, putting a, a diagnosis on him that is he's never had. But I, it, it manifested in manic and depressive cycles that, you know, when you're someone's kid, um, it just feels like instability. And it created a lot of, it, you know, the, the result of that is just a deep, deep, deep insecurity, um, both from them, my parents getting divorced at a young age to his, his moods and trying to manage them. And so my response to that has, you know, been, I don't, I seek out rejection because I want to heal that original rejection. So that's the, that's the spiritual, you know, like fully formed story. What my story, like the pain story is the story of the eight-year-old girl, um, is I 
can't count on love. I can't count on love from a man. It is, but it is God. It is what I want more than anything to not just have it, but to keep it and to be worshiped, (laughs) to be worshiped. I, it's not like I want intimacy. I actually reject that. I just want the worship. I want the, I want the men to reflect back to me the love that I could not get from my dad. And I have found, I have continually sought out that. And, you know, surprise, surprise, you don't get it. Or I actually did get it. I got all the rejection. But the the story around it is I'm, I don't, you know, I don't have specific, like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not da-da-da. It's just, it's it's almost like I've said to you this many times, I want to win. I want to win their love. I want to win all of the attention. Like, I want it all. I want it all for me. And not just from men I like, from every man. From And it used to be in sobriety. It got to be, I want the attention I want the attention from every man including your husband and your boyfriend and everyone hold on before sobriety not in sobriety before sobriety yes yep I mean I I yeah before sobriety I wanted I wouldn't have never admitted that and it kind of it's hard to admit it now but I want that's how it was I wanted to win Uh, not over uh, yes over other women too um, but I wanted to like possess and own, um, and it just it was a constant. It was a constant game, and w- whether I was able to do that or not, completely validated my worth. Uh, and I focused on a few people you know, a few specific people all the time. But really, I I was indiscriminate at the end about where I would look for it. Um, so that's been, that's been my story. Out of sobriety or into sobriety, it really kind of looked the same. Wait, um, do you want to break it up or? Um, you like rolling all the questions together. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was okay. Go. Well, no, but I, I mean, it's just kind of like one of those things of like having a hard stop because it's they're both long story. I mean, is that it? Because you were married. I mean, um, yeah, but that didn't. Ha- I mean, I my my husband was the first man, not the first, but you know, it was it was definitely my first real significant relationship. And he was certainly the man who wouldn't reject me. Um, and I didn't, I could not accept that. I couldn't accept that. I called it, I called my unacceptance of it a lot of other things. Like I made it about him and his shortcomings and my, you know, complexity. And, uh, but at the root, I do know that it, it was about me not being able to accept the real thing that I want is, you know, the real intimacy. I had no idea how to handle that. I won him and then I, you know, and then 
I didn't want what <laughs> what it meant to the chase. I, I wanted the chase. I wanted the high of that, what Tommy was talking about. Um, and the ultimate chase was like, I'm going to win this. I'm going to marry this person. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And the momentum of that being over was a big drop, a big letdown. And, you know, of course, alongside all of this, there are real feelings. There are deep, true, real feelings of love for my ex-husband. But I know what I was up to now. I can see it. And I didn't discriminate, you know, in, so what I, what it looked like in that is I, I like part of it was I sabotaged our relationship to get him to reject me. And he, he really wouldn't, you know, I mean, he did eventually, but he really wouldn't. I remember there's nothing more like kind of devastating than hearing after our wedding, um, his grandmother said to my grandmother, he will love her for the rest of his life. And my grandma said that to me, and I thought two things, two opposing things. I thought, yes, I I won it. I got that. And I also thought, fuck, (laughs) I don't want that. Yeah. What do I do with that? Um. It's the so, prize and it's also like the handcuff. Yeah. So it is, that's been the story. And, you know, I will say of all the things that have caused me a pain, this is the deepest. This is the one that cuts the hardest. Um, you know, we say it a lot, but it is like the original wound for me. Um, it's sort of where everything stems from is that original rejection and all my behavior, you know, sort of spins out from there, at least with men. Yeah, so let's do the the post sobriety ones after. Tell tell yours leading up to sobriety. I feel like you have such a clear picture on it, and I still don't have a clear picture on it, even yeah. though I can remember it from a really young age. Um, I've had to backtrack to a lot of it because I'm also one of those people that doesn't, you know, when I was when I was sitting with Leah and having that conversation, my therapist having that conversation when I came back from Rome, Rome last year, I. I said, <laughs> I was telling her about Francesco in this like, you know, kind of manic thing that we'd been in. And I said, I think this is, honestly, I think this is my past life stuff mm-hmm. really coming in. And I, I'm saying this with all certainty. And she's like, perhaps. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she that says. That sounds like a convenient compound. She says, but do you think that maybe it has something to do with your father. And I, because my relationship with my dad is so traumatic, um, and because, um, because it got to the point where I finally withdrew from that relationship, mm-hmm. I blocked out a lot of the stuff between me and my dad. I blocked it out. Like, I, it was awful, and I can't recall it. And yeah. I sat there with her, and I was like, could be. And then as we started talking about it, you know, I, I, I called my mom and my mom's been, um, my mom's been a real integral part to me figuring out the men stuff. Um, mm-hmm. she's a great, great 
mother. She's also a great friend. And I said, this is what Leah said. And I said, do you think, was it that bad with dad? And she said, oh, honey, you know, and she's like, she's like, of course, that's what I know. Mm. And so then I started doing a little investigative work and just kind of going back and really thinking about it. And, you know, my dad, uh, in, uh, 1982, when I was three years old, my dad and my mom went to go see a therapist and my dad, um, came out to the therapist, not to my mom and he was gay and the therapist advised him to stay in the relationship. And my mom has this thing that she shared with me, which was, I guess they go, we go home after this and she could feel a market changed and where she's taking my sister and I to go get shoes. And she said, my dad on some level just checked out. I mean, you can imagine like from his own personal thing, you're gay, you're in a marriage and you're, you know, you're told to stay in this marriage. And she said, he didn't come with us to go get shoes that day. And he just checked out. Mm. And, and that's not the whole story with me and my dad. I mean, the story with me and my dad is that, um, you know, he had his own stuff that he was working on that was really consuming, um, and he wasn't there. He wasn't available. He was there. He was. He was a great dad, um, you know, until the, they got a divorce. He was, uh, you know, he was there physically, but he wasn't there yeah. emotionally and um, and mentally. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, with, you know, Leah, my therapist tonight, she just painted this picture of after me telling her kind of what my MO is with guys, which is that I go for men that are that, are that yep. physically there. Emotionally not there. And that for me, the the thing is to get their attention. Like if I can win that from them, which they'll never be able to do, right? The men that I choose will never be able to do the thing that I need them to do. But it's like it is the same thing of trying to close this wound by by going back to almost the source of it and trying to to create a different story. Um, Because if I can do that, then I'm free of it. Yep. So, uh, so for me leading, like for me leading up to sobriety, it's one of these things where it's almost, um, I mean, like it's a blur. It is. Mm -hmm. And also it's what I can so resonate with everything that you're saying, which is trying to have all the men, like all, it's not enough. Like I need all men to worship me on some level, right? Like it's, it's that, like I need to have all men's attention, um, not that I want them, but that I, I, right? Like it's not about wanting them or wanting to be in a physical relationship with them no, or wanting to it's be not about them. Period. No, but yeah. it's just wanting this thing to be worshiped by all men. And it's interesting because to talk about it, uh, you know, to actually talk about it before sobriety, I can't actually clearly talk about it. Yeah. Because it's so mixed up and all this other stuff. No, I know. Yeah. And because you also have, because you're also not, you know, you're not playing with a full deck. And you have these other things that are interfering with it, right? When alcohol is involved, it changes everything about, um, it changes everything about you, but it also changes everything about the interactions you have with men because it's alcohol fueled. And so the way that you come together, the way that you, you know, initially and the way that you are together, the person you present, how you connect intimately. And then even worse, like for me, 
the um you know it's it's almost it's the same story except it's alcohol fueled and so like this really great example of it is that i towards the end towards getting sober i was still in this relationship with my archetype my completely unavailable emotionally unavailable man who i you know just who if he had just loved me then everything would have been fixed i'm mm-hmm. still in that with him i start dating this other guy who does the, the the typical thing, which is men are tend to be very attracted and interested at the beginning for a very short window of time, um, and then I go into that spinning thing that you're talking about, where all of a sudden there's something to lose, and I have to mm-hmm. game it, mm-hmm. and like there has to be certain benchmarks that they're hitting in order for me to feel okay, and they can feel that energy, and they run from that energy, right. and then they reject, and then I. And then I, you know, react. And so in this very short period of time, right before I'm getting sober, this is a really great way to kind of encapsulate it. I'm still in this crazy thing with my, you know, the the man I'm in love with. I'm also in this thing with this guy who does this typical thing of coming on strong and running away. And I'm reeling from that. And I'm sending him, when I'm getting drunk, I'm reeling from it. Like, meaning I'm getting drunk. And that's when I decide to pick up my phone and tell him things. Yes, of course. Oh. And then he's rejecting me. And then my one of my ex-boyfriends, um, who I love still very much, who's a, a good friend, um, and I started to see each other again, kind of. And I tell him he has to come up to San Francisco. He's living, he's living out in Santa Cruz. I tell him he has to come to San Francisco immediately that night. Um, <laughs> oh, I loved those requests. Mm-hmm, like that night, I need him. And then he says he can't for some reasonable reason. And that's when I lose it and say, this is exactly what you do. You, you know, and I tell him all the things that are wrong with him. So I'm in this like triple, you know, mess with three men doing the same thing. And I'm also, you know, I'm also drunk. Um. And so it's so hard to talk about. I'm like losing so much steam talking about this because it's like taking everything out of me. Um, I know. But that's before sobriety. That's what it's like. There's a story there. Sure. There's there's stuff that's happened in my life to create this need to, um, you know, this that's created this rejection loop. But before sobriety, there's also this, you know, there's this, this you know, this, this third wheel of alcohol that and drugs, um, and self-harm, major self-harm. And also, I don't know who I am and I'm lost mm-hmm. and I'm desperate and I am, um, grasping. I really still think at this point, right before sobriety, I really still think at this point, it's a matter of having a man fix it. So yeah. there's this very different, it's the same thing, but it's very different than after sobriety. We'll get into that. Um, but it was, um, it was such, I was, it was like, there was always men in queue and they were, and oh. they would step through the queue and they would do the same thing. And then I just go and line up more men to come through the queue to do the same thing. It was like this need to constantly have this validation if I didn't have this thing going on. And then there was always a next, you know, there's always a backup plan. I had absolutely, I mean, my standards didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It was just, was he there? Yeah, <laughs> you willing participant? So yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's so much more I can say because it's my whole life. But um, but I'll stop there. Yeah, I think you 
for saying you don't have, you can't talk about it. I think you, you know more than you think, but I, I think, you know, just in the time that I've met you, I remember when I first met you, you said, oh no, I don't, I don't talk, I'm not talking about my dad. You know, I'm not willing to go there. That's where I'm just a place I'm not willing to go. And you've been in, in degrees increasingly willing to look at it, not necessarily look at your dad, but just at all of it. And of course he's part of that. You agree? I, um, yeah, I do, but I still, I still don't talk about my dad. <laughs> no, you don't. No. Nope. And I don't, okay. I mean, and I don't think I, right. But I don't even know if that's, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a sidebar it feels like, but it's not a sidebar. I think it's pretty <laughs> integral to the conversation. Um, right. I don't like, I, you know, just to say like, it's interesting when you're talking about your dad, you're like buffering it. Right. I love my dad, you know? And for me, it's like, um, I, I do love my dad. Um, I, but I also, um, I don't know if I ever, like maybe, maybe years, years later, I always thought I had to go back through the stuff with my dad in order to come out the other side of this. I don't know if I necessarily believe that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to do this work. I think, I think it's just one of those places. Um, I don't want to go and, um, with him or, or even into it. Um, yeah, that could be true. Yeah. Could be be. true. Okay. So let's talk about after sobriety. Okay. So after sobriety, uh, as I was getting sober, I, uh, start, I quickly realized a couple things. I, this stuff, this seeking, this attention seeking with men, um, the volume turned up in certain ways and it turned down in other ways. One, I realized I just, from a logistics standpoint, in order for me to stay sober, I couldn't go, I couldn't try to date people. I couldn't, and I, and I wasn't for a couple of reasons. I, I just couldn't go out on dates and not drink. It was, it was not possible and I'd done it and I failed. So I shut that down, uh, which meant that I wasn't adding to, I wasn't adding, like you said, new people to the queue <laughs> in that way. Um, I was just meeting fewer people, right? So the volume, the the frequency and sort of the the introduction of new people, new stories, new new characters into the cast slowed down. That changed, but what didn't change is I I still I still wanted this, you know, I I feel like it's, I'll talk about the first year of sobriety and then the second year of sobriety. Because the first year, I just was crazy and raw and no ground. You know, you talked about not knowing yourself when you were drinking. And I, I mean, same, but I, it it occurred to me in such a heavy hitting way in the first year of sobriety, how deeply that was true, how much I didn't know myself. Um, And also I was like, changing on a cellular level at an epic pace. And I got into a relationship in an, in a, I, I use quotes relationship because it truly is a relationship and it, we're still, we're connected still, but I um, kind of projected all of my stuff around this into, onto one person. 
Um, and I've talked about him before, but all of it sort of funneled into him and our relationship. And so I got to, through actually a very, it was chaotic, but healing way over the course of my sobriety, really from the beginning, see, I, I called in someone who would, who would reject me, but I also called in someone who would point to the parts of me that were good. <laughs> and he, he was rejecting me, but he wasn't rejecting me. And so the story has been, it's harder for me to talk even about what the story is in rejection. Now it's been, um, it's been, I've been unable to avoid it. Like I could in sobriety, I could just bounce along the top of it and not really ever touch down. And that's, it goes with everything in, in drinking versus sobriety. But this was, you know, this has been a big area where I would experience another scenario of a man rejecting me and it would hit so much harder and for longer and deeper and more cutting than it ever did in my drinking days because I couldn't escape it. Uh, which was good, thank God, because it started to force like all of those things I rattled off that I know now about my dad and about my rejection story and about all of this. I sort of maybe knew a little bit, but not that has all been the past two years of work. Um, remember, remember Scott? <laughs> and how could I forget? Uh, and, yeah, I do. I remember, and I remember every conversation we had about that. Yeah, and, and sort through. of the realization I had one night where I was like, oh, my God, Holly, this isn't him. This is every guy. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was real. Like, I hadn't yes. known that before. I know. I get it. I totally get I, it. It was, it was so helpful. <laughs> Not, it didn't hurt any less, but it did take a little bit of the sting away to know that it wasn't about him. Because if it's about him, I'm fucked. If it's about any of these people, these guys, I'm totally fucked forever. Because it's never going to resolve. I realized that and it was like, oh, so this is this is about me. I can work on this. So my rejection story now, you know, I mean, it, it crescendoed with the most recent guy. But I have also dealt with it for two years leading up to him. And so it all in that moment, in my bottom dropping out, I really realized and knew that it wasn't about him. And that was like good news and bad news. Um, that it has always been about me and what I think of myself and that it is never going to be filled again. Good news, bad news. Never going to be filled by this guy. Yeah. Whoever he is. Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. Um, yeah. I think that's sort of where I am today. And after that guy, I, I, um, I stop. I have stopped. Uh, 
I'm not on the, the stuff anymore. I'm not on the apps. I, and I'm not doing it because I, I'm doing it consciously. Like, it's not that I don't want to, like, I've shut off that part of me. It's still all there, but I just, it's like drinking, dude. <laughs> it's like that drinking is, it's not the answer anymore. Right. Finally fucking got it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's the story today. That is a story today. Thank God. <laughs> really? Well, and it's an evolving, it's kind of one of those things that it's a story today, yes. And then, oh, yeah, I'll go there again. For yeah. Sure. Again yeah. and again and again and again. And that's the one thing I've learned to not tell myself, which is I've, this is done. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I have arrived. No, I know I'm, I have not arrived. Yeah. I will go through it again. I will meet somebody and I will, ha- you know, I'll be I'll have to pray hard and no, I know I'm not done, but dude, I, I have never been where I am today ever. That's right. So I also want to acknowledge that I've never been where I am today. That's right. Yeah. Whew. This is tiring. I'm so tired. (laughs) Okay. So let's do yours. Let's do where you are today. And then we're going to talk about just for those listening and being like, this is long. Uh, How long are you going to go? We're going to do our favorite tools or uh, teachings rather that have sort of got us through and helped. And then, and then that'll be, that'll wrap it up for now. But what is yours in your three years, your last three, almost four? Yeah, years. it's almost four. Well, it's, it'll have been four in October, um, a I month, thought. like four of uh, since I since I started working. Um, you know, I didn't want to date the first year, and, and that's something that I um, cannot stress enough um, the importance of. Uh, I really took the time for myself and was um, really focused on me. But I also, in that time, went to Italy with one of my best friends. And uh, while we were there, um, this is somebody that had been interested in me for a long time and also was somebody I called, you know, like my work husband. And I'd lived with him, and he was like the guy that was always there. It was my best friend. So when I came back from Italy, it was like maybe four months sober. And I just one night texted him and said, you know, you've always wanted me basically. (laughs) Well, um, I'm in like, let's do it. And, um, and he didn't, he didn't want anything to do with me. And we, I forced it and pushed it. And this is like the closest person to me. And I, you know, I, I forced it into an, into us actually going on a date and he pulls up at my house. We get in the cab and a block later, he tells the cab driver to pull over cause he's having oh. a full blown panic attack and we get out of the cab and I said, you just are scared. And I kiss him and he like almost throws up and then I almost throw up. Oh God, you've told me this story, but and then I just left. I left and I went to my apartment and then I walked and I tried to call his mom and his mom wouldn't answer her phone because she he'd already called her and like um I was just spinning and um and that fucked with me more than I can begin to explain because here was like the one guy that had always wanted me and he was in the queue. And um 
And then here I am, and I'm finally realizing, realizing in air quotes, that I'm in love with him. And, um, and he's having, you know, he's like about to throw up at the thought of it. And so, um, and then not only that, like all of our friends know, you know, like, <laughs> wait, wait, he doesn't want you. I am. Um, and so it was like, I, I can't explain the level of rejection uh, that came with that, but it really started to feed into this story that I'm unlovable and, um, and, and that I, that I'm unlovable, you know, and I, you know, and the story is so built up, you know, I'm talking to one of my friends one night, one of my oldest friends that I've known since I'm 14, and she's trying to introduce me to this girl in San Francisco, um, who's sober, and she's like, you guys will get along so well, like, she's sober, and also she's a total mess with men, and, um, so depressing, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't talked on the phone to her since, um, yeah, (laughs) serious, um, but it's just like this story that I carry around, which is like, I mean, I have confidence in many areas of my life, but when it comes to this, it feels so broken and has felt so broken. And so, you know, for the last, you know, I was in this very tumultuous, um, and I'll call it a relationship because they're all relationships, whether or not we even, yeah, you know, no, whether I- or not we say we're boyfriend, girlfriend, they're all relationships. And, I was in this very tumultuous thing and, you know, with this guy and it was just constant rejection. And, um, and, and my response was, was atomic. My, you know, like it got, it got worse. My relationships with men got worse because there was nothing else getting in the way. It was just me in the relationship and, um, and no escape. And also you, you are uncovering all these parts of you that you were numbing for so long. It all kind of swims to the surface and so to be healed to be honest because other things had to be healed first and so this just like swims to the surface and I remember you know and I would just lose it for days I would I can I can feel that head fog you know that you get when you're spinning and you need someone else to fix it for you and um I remember standing on the roof of the kundalini ashram in San Francisco my friend Monique and I'm telling her about this whole thing and that's when she says um you know, honey, rejection is universal protection. And for mm-hmm. me, that was yeah. one of the biggest turning points. She said, if it's meant to be, you can't fuck it up, right? Number one. Number two, you know, you can, and, and I love that one too, because you can procrastinate and do all this stuff to interfere, but you, you also really can't mess up something that's really meant to be. And she says that, and then she says, but you know, like this, this, this rejection is really just universal guidance pushing you along into another way. And and so, you know, that was a that was a big thing, but this this rejection thing with men that kind of kept playing out, it's this idea that um I think I can't live without this person, right? Like and I mm-hmm. think I can't live with this space of of rejection. And that space of rejection, you feel like you can't live. You yeah. really do. You're yeah. so you're you've fallen so low, you forget who you are. You totally. forget completely. You forget completely who you are. You forget your self worth. You forget that you're beautiful in the mirror. You forget that you're beautiful on the insides. You just only see this. You only see this thing. That person doesn't want me. That's what you see. And so for me, my story has always been fix it with another guy, right? And and especially in sobriety, that was that was it, right? When when in Rome last summer, when you know the guy I'm seeing comes and tells me, <laughs> you know, like. I'm, I'm back together with my ex-girlfriend and, and, um, you're not it. Um, I mean, the next thing I'm on to is finding 
you yeah. know, the next totally. thing. So we don't have to feel the thing or deal with the thing. And so... And it's built right into your phone. <laughs> yeah. And so I... Um, well, no, I'm... Whatever, okay. So when... I'm trying to sum up so much in, in a short time. But, I know, it's um, really hard. But I'm just going to go with it. So, so for me, it's really been this... When... When this guy, you know, Peter Cigarettes comes onto the scene, um, and I lose, you know, 10 pounds, and um, I, in in the fire, in the fire, in January mm-hmm. of this year, in just late December, and late December of last year, January of this year, I'm in the fire with it. Um, I turn to what I turn to most of the time when I can't figure something out. I turn to A Course in Miracles, and, you know... Um, First of all, some of the biggest things that I did, and this is where the, like, the beauty of all this comes in, is that you actually do start working, you start learning, because you have the space to learn because you have no other choice but to learn. You either keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again, or you choose to start using these relationships as what, you know, for what they are, which is the place where you grow. And so with, you know, whereas before with all these other men, my response is, is atomic, right? It starts, it's just this unfiltered, it's my, like, it is my 14-year-old screaming mad self, you know, takes over within this situation, even though I'm rejected, even though I'm reeling, um, first of all, I'm actually not giving into that, and I'm not sending him hate messages, and I'm not acting out with him. I'm actually, I withdraw from acting out with him, and I actually sit with it with myself, which is one of the first biggest things that I did, right? Like, I actually took it. I didn't make it his problem. I didn't blame it on him. I didn't think if he just did something different, I would be released. I actually sat with it and said, this is really up to me to start acting the way that I want to act. And that was the biggest shift for me that's so far. And then on top of it, I turned to A Course in Miracles. I open up the chapter I'm on. It's chapter 17. Mm-hmm. And it starts talking about this really beautiful thing of when the relationship doesn't go the way that you expect it to go, like this is not the moment that you lose faith. Right. And it said, did you like, it's, you know, it's, it's a Holy Spirit. You're talking, it's Jesus talking and it's, it's, it, Jesus is saying, did you, did you not offer this relationship up to me, up to me to do with it? Um, what is best? And I did, I had put Peter's name in my God jar, right? Like I had basically put, you know, his name in there probably a hundred times just because I knew he was going to, I knew that this was like the exact kind of relationship that will leave me reeling. And the difference was this time it, you know, basically the call was to have faith that actually this is how it's supposed to work out and to not just go and try and do the same thing again, to actually stay in this to be with this and also to not blame the other. And so for me, that was another really big turning point, which was to not lose faith and to not believe just because it didn't work out the way I thought it should work out, that it wasn't actually working out the way it should work out. Right. And then also I went through this, this thing of just, um, of offering it up. That's where I started to really Mm -hmm. surrender it and offer it up. And so every night when I went to bed, it was the same thing that Marianne Williamson did, which is I forgive you, Peter. And I, I, um, and I release you to the Holy spirit. I forgive you. And I release you. I forgive you. And I release you. And so, you know, this is how this one went and I go on in my life and I get stood up by other men and, um, and then a couple months later, this guy that kind of blows my circuits comes back into the picture. And not only does he come back into the picture, he moves two miles away from me. Mm-hmm. 
And again, he comes back into the picture and he does the same exact thing where he is interested and then he rejects and, and leaves. And this time I don't lose it as much. Right. Yeah. No, you didn't. You, it's marked, marked difference, marked difference, but I still lost it. I still wanted something from him that he wasn't giving to me. And I still had that, like, I still had that rejection story around it. And so this all comes to the summer, the summer of rejection, um, where I, when I was in Italy this summer, it just started to move from, I mean, it's just so clear this is my thing to overcome, which is not, you know, men, men rejecting me like over and over and over again. And actually it's almost like a quickening, like it starts happening faster yes, and more frequently. Yep. And I start looking at this and in each situation I'm looking at it, I am watching myself closer and closer and closer. And I am starting to not personalize it and actually starting to not let it actually say anything about my value or my worth. And so that's where this big change comes in for me because like check back to, you know, a year ago where I was just just I I had told you I think this is my cross to bear in life like bad relationships with men you know you know constantly wanting something and being rejected it starts to be this thing this summer where it's to the point where it's actually like I said like it's a mosquito bite you know there's a, a small pang but then there's also an immediate move and leap to release it and surrender it and actually remind myself, this does not define me. This does not define me. This does right. not define me. And so I'll wrap it up with this. So on my way out of Italy, the morning I'm leaving, Peter, who I haven't talked to in three months, same guy that, you know, blows me up in December and then again in, uh, in April, texts me and says, like, hey, you know, <laughs> do you want to hang out? And I... And he does the same thing. This is just in the last couple of weeks, and he does the same thing. And this time, not only does it not undo me, it barely even, it barely even um, grabs my attention. It doesn't consume me. So I'm at dinner the other night with one of my girlfriends, um, and I was telling her, and I had this like moment of clarity. And if any of you guys have listened to the Meadow Show, the one that we, the podcast we did with Meadow, you kind of understand we talked about money, about money being the same as alcohol. And I, I like have this realization. I'm talking to Carla, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, a year ago, I'm sitting in my therapist's office. A year ago from today, I'm sitting in my therapist's office, and she asks me, like. Do I want to, like, am I ready to give this up, this cycle with men, this drama with men, this behavior? And I laugh because I know I'm not ready to. I know I'm still, like, in it and mm-hmm. some way getting something from it. And, you know, we're talking about we're talking about this latest thing with Peter where he's come, we've hung out, and then he does this, you know, disappearing act. And, um, and how the difference this time is I actually am getting off more on the fact that he's doing the thing that undo- that that typically undoes me, but I'm actually more focused on how it, it's. I'm getting off more on the opportunity to not do the old thing. I'm getting off more on the opportunity to stay with myself yep. than I am on the hit of of drama. And yep. so, so it's. So when we talk about, you know, this thing is about rejection. And I, I, you know, I hope I didn't go too far off track. But for me, 
rejection is that oldest wound. It's that place that hurts the most. It's the place I lose myself the most. It's where I forget myself. It's where I completely come undone. And now what it's become, just because I've worked on it a lot, like it's the thing I haven't wanted to work on. It's the thing that like, you know, life has told me I'm working on. And it's now this thing that on some level I look forward to because I look forward to rising. I yep. look forward to the opportunity to rise and and not crumble. And so and so that's that's where I am and, and I will tell you, like, it's actually more romantic than any relationship I could imagine. I still want that relationship. Like I still do. Mm, yeah, me too. Me too. But also I really am in love with the fact that that I I've been given, you know, and I would never have said this as I was going through this, but more than anything, I've been, I'm grateful to all of these men that have given me this opportunity. And I really do feel like it. I wrote this piece called Slip Inside Hearts. And like, I had this really beautiful thing happen where I just saw them all as exactly what they are, which is these, these really, really sweet angels that come into my world in order to remind me to keep fighting myself. Yep. And so that's what this has been and continues to be, which is, it's not a rejection story of a man rejecting me. It's, it's a story of me rejecting myself. And now mm-hmm. it's a story of me accepting not. myself and staying yeah. with myself. And, you know, like this one night I'm sitting on my bed and I text you, you know, this guy I'm dating in Italy. We, he's like, we're, it's like eight o'clock at night. We're going out at nine and he says, oh, I have to work. And like, you know, sorry. And I just, I went to that place where I'm about to, I want to like self-destruct. You know, like I have, it's that immediate impulse to escape, right? You know, to smoke a cigarette, binge, you know, binge on five gelato, whatever. Something. To do something, to feel something other than what I'm feeling. And I pace around my apartment and I text you and I laugh and then I say the thing that actually the adult me would say to him. And then I take a deep breath and I just am like, I'm going to go on about my night. And I'm going, and, and it's just like this snap instead of this, this, you know, this thing that we can turn it into, which can be a day, a month, a year, two years, three years. Yep. Yep. It's just this snap and then I'm back and then... I'm with myself and then I'm moving forward and, and that's it. It's more, it's an, it's, it's an experiment. It's, it's not a a story. It's an experiment and the story changes as we change. It's really beautiful. Thanks. It's been a big deal. I know. (sighs) Okay. So let's talk about, um, tools that we've used to get through it. Just name, you know, maybe the top three or five things that you've used that have helped you. Yeah. So I'll make this quick. Um, Ayana Van Van Zandt, one of the original, like, I think we both realized we bought the same book in 1998 in the meantime by Ayana Van Zandt. She was like Oprah's original, I don't know, before Oprah had like Super Soul Sunday, she had a cast of people that she were like her go-tos that she'd have on all the time. And Ayanla Van Zandt was one of them. And she, in this book, in the meantime, I can't find any quotes specifically, but I'll, I'll find them before we post this. Just, I was 
18 and um and I met, you know I got pregnant I, I got pregnant actually at like 21 and um I had my first real like hardcore brush with rejection and I found this book and it started to save me so her you know and her basic deal is the same as all the things we've been talking about same as the course of miracles same as any true spiritual self or self-help text which is like you are the prize this is you like return to you go to you and go to god too and that was the really the start of my journey so i still think of that and i still open the book from time to time to look at what i found there and then um you know i don't honestly everything i do is sort of in service of healing this but one of my my big go-tos is Marianne Williamson's return to love and her chapter on relationships. I have to say, take reading it. It, I have to be in a really um, either a desperate or b um, willing place to read it because it's like tough medicine. It's not at first. It is not helpful it's not it doesn't provide immediate relief to me it is because it turns it around on you always and it's not like oh you're okay you're okay you're okay it's like you are okay and you're perfect and loved but this is not about the guy and like I said before that 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 was bad news to me I wanted it to be about them I really did because I wanted there to be an answer out there not in inside me. Um, so the, and obviously a return to love is, I don't say obviously, I shouldn't say that because some people don't know her, even though we talk about it all the time, is based on A Course in Miracles, what you were just talking about. So a return to love is another one. And then honestly, for me, I would say um, the practice of yoga is has been the biggest tool for all of my healing, but especially around rejection. And this is why Uh, it calls me back into my own innate heart. I feel like I've said it before, but I meet myself on the mat whenever I do the practice of yoga and it's accessible to me all the time. Like I, I um, it's not something that's out there. It's like, I have it. It's a tool I have every day, anytime I want it, really. And the breath, uh, connecting the breath with is like the bridge between my heart and my stories in my head. And it it works every time. It works every single time I get on the mat. I have the opportunity to remember who Laura is, remember what my body can do, remember that I'm this this thing that's connected to this beautiful soul that's connected to God. Um, and it's allowed me to, to build myself back up to whole. Um, and I think also, or I, I know it has allowed me to release the, the trauma of my, all my past stories with rejection, um, which is all the work that I'm really getting back into now, you know, learning and what, and, and I'm teaching now, um, how to work with these rejection sh- stories. They get stored up in our body, you know, especially around first chakra, second chakra. Those are the stories of rejection. Those are the stories of groundlessness. Um, that's where they live. Um, and I knowing like 
it, it feeds it feeds both my intellectual curiosity to understand how that stuff works and then also spiritually it feeds me to know that I have this very accessible practice that I can use to that works. It's so crazy. It works to actually heal this stuff. Um so yeah, I'd say those are my three. There there are more, but those are my favorite three. Um, I feel I have to say that like all the work that I do has helped this. Like there's everything that I've done for sobriety has been like, there's not one thing I I can think of that doesn't somehow, um, support this. But I will say the tools that have helped me the most, especially recently, um, I love untethered soul. Um, I, I read that and then also listened to it, um, this summer, when I was in Italy and working with um, my heart, because that's where it lives for me. It lives in my heart. My heart wants to close. And, and for me, the practice is keeping my heart open when it wants to close. I can feel like I can see it, get a text message, hey, not going to be able to make it, and or hey, I don't think so, or whatever, whatever the rebuff is. And then I can actually feel it in my body. And I've gotten really, really, that's what I practiced all summer in Italy, to be honest. I read that book very early and I practiced keeping my heart open and letting things pass through it um, instead of holding on to them and closing down and keeping my heart open um, in those moments where it's the pain is so sharp, you're sure it will kill you. And so that is Untethered Soul is by far one of the best tools. I've, uh, I've been working on, and I've said this for the last couple of years, my heart chakra is the one that needs the most work. Um, it's, it just so absolutely needs, um, it, it's, it's the one that's just screaming to, um, you know, to open up. And so, um, so yeah, so I would say Untethered Soul is a great book that talks about that. The second, um, Course in Miracles, I, I, it's, it's in, in terms of relationships, it's the Bible. I mean, it, it really talks about using relationships, uh, in order to heal yourself and to, and to heal the other. Um, the beauty of like, of opening up to that chapter, chapter 17, great chapter, um, is that it talks about, um, not blaming the other, um, right. And really taking responsibility, but that's what the whole book is about, which is that you have the secret in you. The secret is not in someone else. And, um, that's just uh, phenomenal. Uh, the, and then the meditation, um, especially heart opening meditations, there's a meditation, a Kundalini meditation called Sat Kartar. Um, and it is, you know, the motion is simply just like meant to open up your heart chakra. Um, and I think a lot of this work is, it is, it's all heart work. And so I think, I mean, it's not all, but it's, it's mostly heart work. Um, and so that's the, one of the best resources that I've, I've found is, is Kundalini. Kundalini is just excellent on, on working with that chakra. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is prayer and surrender, right? I get on my no, knees. Yeah. I mean, I get on my knees and I ask to, you know, like I ask very specific things. Please, 
please let me show up for this. Please let me, you know, be part, like, please do, do with this. Let me get out of the way and please, please help me do with this. What, whatever it is that needs to be done with this, please let me use this for the greater good. Please let me use this to grow. I give this person, I like, I do not know what is best here. Um, like I, I promise I will keep open and I will keep following. I'll keep taking the assignments. Um, I did this practice with, um, in, in Italy this summer where I would just, um, I really would just walk around with my palms open. Um, like in this, I offer this up, I offer this up and, um, you know, with whatever it is. Um, and also while still focusing on keeping my heart open. I mean, a lot of this stuff using physical sensations in your body and using the physical act of doing something, it is worth a lot, right? So Mm -hmm. like if you're walking or like, like for instance, I really would, I would put my hands out in front of me, hands cupped, walking around, just offering it up, just the act of offering it up and almost feeling the release come. Or I'd walk around and I would feel how my heart feels and be really, I became a really close observer of when my heart would close. And then I would, I'd almost see it like this, like see an enemy, like wanting to pucker closed. And then I would just slow it and keep it open. Mm -hmm. And so those, those things count. Those things work. Those things count. So that when you're in a situation like when, um, you know, when you're texting, you know, say a guy and saying something important to him and, and he responds and he, he says, you know, a stupid dickish thing, um, instead of, you know, like in that moment you can, like, I've been practicing focusing on my heart. So in that moment I'm not reactionary. I'm just allowing my, I'm really conscious of how I'm letting that hit me and, and how I'm metabolizing it. And that counts for a lot. So that's what I'll say. Those are my four things. Um, but it's a lot, there's a lot of work that goes into this. hard hard thing to work through yeah yeah it comes up a lot in our facebook group i mean it's 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 big for everybody it's huge but it's um been the most wouldn't you say like one of the most freeing things to work through when you can do it can't always do it but it's one you don't want to do it too like we want it like especially when it comes to this we want the fucking fantasy right or or we want to draw it out we want to listen to the sad song and that's great too i mean i spent a lot of times you know just listening to the sad song and crying i spent a lot of time screaming Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. actually feeling the feelings that come along with it but there does come a point where we have to decide do we want to just keep on you know, do we want to keep ourselves stuck in feeling this or do we want to really transcend this? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have imagined that I would have actually, you know, and like I said, it's the work is never done. But I also a year ago could not have imagined how, going through what I've been going, what I've gone through in the last, you know, three months, oh, four months. Ready. Yeah. And being able to actually, you know, and to be able to actually use it as, as a springboard, not as a, as a, you know cross you know that i was nailed to so it's it's you know it's really it's a much different experience okay i love you all right love you too how tired are you totally exhausted it was like two hours